1: Good morning, everyone. One more time, we'll try that again. I know we got like the mask muffling stuff, but that was still like 30% of the room. Good morning, everyone. There we go, students. It's great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, As Brandon talked about this in a month, I will have been around here for 10 years. So, like a, a decade. And in my young life, that's like a third of my life. Goodness like a clean third, so yeah, this is, this is home to me in many ways, so it's great to be with you. Hi, Dr. Fowdy. Good to see you, man. Deacon Thomas, Pat. It's good to see you guys. It's good to see everybody. It's good to be here. So we're going to get into God's word this morning. I couldn't be more excited, but before we dive in here this morning, before we dive in, would you please pray with me? Gracious God and Father. We take a moment and we acknowledge your presence in our midst. Jesus, your word teaches us that where two or three are gathered together, there you are in the midst. And God, we're grateful that your presence is among us this morning. God, we're grateful that in your presence there's fullness of joy, even in the midst of great sadness and sorrow. Jesus, we're grateful that in your presence there is wholeness in the midst of brokenness. Jesus, we're grateful that in your presence presence. In your presence, there is salvation and there is sanctification and there is the future promise of the glorification that we will exist in forever when we are made like you in the resurrection. Jesus, we give you praise. Jesus, we acknowledge that it wasn't the alarms on our phone that woke us up this morning, nor the ingenuity of our imaginations. But Jesus, we acknowledge that it was the goodness of your grace that woke us up this morning. For it was you that formed the very air that we breathe in this moment. And Jesus, we stop to say thank you. We stop to say thank you because you didn't have to leave the perfect love and unity of the Trinity to put on flesh and be born of a baby. Jesus, you didn't have to live the perfect life that we couldn't. Jesus, you didn't have to die the death that we deserved. And Jesus, we're so grateful that you did those things. But we're also grateful that in Israel today, there is an empty tomb, that you rose from the dead on the third day with all power. And Jesus, you invite us into that. And Jesus, we thank you. So Jesus, this morning, we pray that you would bless Teaching of your word. Jesus, I pray that you would increase and that I would decrease. Jesus, I pray that your words would be lifted and mine would fall to the ground. Jesus, we pray these things in your strong and mighty name, the name that is above every other name. And that name is Jesus. Amen. So, in the early 2000s, there was a show that I absolutely loved. I watch it now on YouTube from time to time because they have it. I love this show. It's a show called Mythbusters. It's a show called Mythbusters. Does anybody, a couple students over there like Mythbusters? No, I have a weird and strange relationship with this television show called Mythbusters because I love it. It's like super interesting because they put up these urban legends and then they have this team of lawyers and investigators who actually do a whole full out search to figure out whether or not this urban legend or this myth is true. Now, I love it because I love learning and it's super interesting and it's super entertaining to watch, but I also just have a strange relationship with it also because it debunked some of the myths that I really loved. Some of the things that I really, really loved, this show took a whole episode and debunked it. One of those is the Fast and Furious movies. Y'all pray for me, I love the Fast and Furious movies. All 20 of them, however many Fast and Furious movies there are, I love them, All right? So they did a whole episode to show how like the whole Fast and Furious like saga was kind of like a fabricated reality. And I'm just watching the episode and I'm like, dang, why you have to do that? I, I love these movies. Why'd you have to do that? Another one they did, which I watched the other day with my daughter, she thought it was hilarious, was they did an episode on whether you could take earwax and make it a candle or not. So like, they took all this earwax, they formed it into a candle, they put a wick in it, and they tried to burn it. Now, I love the movie Shrek. So the scene where he pulls the earwax out of his ear, I'm like, why are you disproving something that I love? I thought, hey, maybe I'll try that one day, but I guess not, because Mythbusters determined that it was absolutely false. You see, when it comes to the scriptures, I want to play a little game this morning called Mythbusters. You see, there are some scriptures that in American culture, we love, but what we do is we take these scriptures from their original context, we take them from their original meaning, and we take them out of what the author meant for the original audience to hear, and what happens is we form it and craft it to our own wants, to our own needs, and to our own likeness. But the reality is, what we've done is we've created some myths. Right? One of these is uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11. Now, this is an incredibly popular verse, insanely popular verse. As a matter of fact, just this week, I found three of my students who have this on the front of their prayer journals. Right, And this is what made me think of it, because I asked them, I said, hey, have you ever read Jeremiah 29, 1 through 10? And they look at me and they go, whoop. Because the reality of that is, while it does absolutely say that God has a plan for our futures, if you read 1 through 10, the news before that may not be that great, right? Because the news before that in 1 through 10 says, hey, people of Israel, you're going to die in exile. Your generation's not going to make it out. So what you should do is your sons should take daughters and your daughters should take sons and you should plant gardens and you should seek the welfare of the city for in it you will find your own welfare. Goodness gracious. Maybe before the inspirational quote, we should put like, man, we're going to die in exile. Yikes. Another one of these is 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 13. It's called the love chapter. And you see, this is a very popular chapter when it comes to weddings. And you see, before I did my first wedding, it was here and I was like really, really nervous and I didn't know what to do. So the pastor who was here at this time, I went to him and I said, hey man, I don't know what to do. So he said, all right, here's a script. I want you to fill this script in and I want you to come back to me. And I want you to talk to me about what you're gonna do. So I went to him. I showed him my script. I was like, man, I prayed. And what I came out with was 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what I'm talking about at the wedding. At that time, there was a younger pastor and an older pastor. They both laughed. And the older pastor looked at me and said, try again, James. That text is not actually about weddings. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at that text and maybe, maybe debunk a myth or two. Is that all right? It's all right, Dr. Foudy. All right. My man, Dr. Foudy. that's all right. It's all right, kids? That's all right, students? All right. Praise God. So if you would, uh, please, let's open up to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to open up to 1 Corinthians 13. It's going to be up on the screen behind you really big. But if you would, please, let's find it in our, in our Bibles and our electronic devices. And when you get that, if you would, please, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Praise God. First Corinthians 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. The word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices... With the truth, love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. This is God's word, and this is true. You may be seated. So before we dive in to the text this morning, just a few things about 1 Corinthians as a whole, a little context for us. The book of 1 Corinthians is written by a man named Paul who is the 12th apostle. Paul is a gospel globetrotter. He goes on three missionary journeys. His ministry is to take the gospel to the Gentile world. Paul is a Jew who was called to go and take the gospel to places where it is not. When he goes to these places, what happens is he plants church. And what he does in this church planning is actually really, really interesting. Because in this church planning that he's doing, what he does is he says, hey, I'm going to preach the gospel to everyone. So what he does because he's Jewish is first he goes to the synagogue and he preaches the good news of Jesus. He says, hey, these Old Testament scriptures that you are reading all point to Jesus. The Messiah that you've been waiting for was that man who was hung on the cross, who was buried in the grave, and who rose on the third day, Jesus. But then what he would do is he'd go and build tents around Gentile people, and he'd get to know them, and he'd preach the same message to them, and they would come to know Jesus. And what happened was interesting. He didn't start a Jewish church on the north side of town and a Gentile church on the south side, but what he did was he started a church. And the only place in the Greco-Roman world where Jews and Greeks had meaningful interactions was the church of Jesus Christ. The only place that blew up the social strata and the socioeconomic caste was the church of Jesus Christ. Goodness gracious. So this church in Corinth did the exact same thing. This church in Corinth was very unique because the city of Corinth was this large metropolitan city. This city had over 500,000 people in the ancient world. This is more people who live in Stark County today. Here's what's interesting. The city was brought together by pagan worship. It had 12 principal temples. And the biggest temple, the most powerful temple, was a temple called Aphrodite. Now... The Temple of Aphrodite was a temple that was dedicated to prostitute worship. So in this chapter and in this book, whenever Paul is talking to them about love, what Paul is doing is he's correcting a cultural presupposition that the people of Corinth have. Because when they think of love, they think of lust. They don't think about the covenant-keeping, unconditional love of God that Paul is talking about in this text. Next, 1 Corinthians is the second of a Corinthian correspondence of letters. So we don't have the first letter that they wrote in here, but what we do have is Paul responding to issues that they wrote him about. So in this book, Paul is going to give the correct way to go about these issues, These are people who are coming to know Jesus Christ, who are trying to figure out what it means to live as kingdom citizens. So in 1 Corinthians, what he's gonna do in the beginning of the book is he's going to correct divisions. There's divisions in the church. Some follow Paul, some follow Apollos. He's gonna say, hey, what are me and Apollos? We're nothing, follow Jesus. For I plant, he waters, but God gives the increase. He's gonna correct their presupposition on sexual immorality. He's going to say, in culture, it's okay to do this, but in God's church, we are to live pure. If we want to inherit God's kingdom, we are to turn away from all forms of sexual immorality. He's going to correct the presupposition on food sacrificed to false idols, where there's an argument and division. He's going to say, hey, don't be a stumbling block to your brothers. He's going to say, yeah, this meat has no power, but if your brother sees it as offensive, don't do it in front of him. then we're going to get to my favorite part here. In chapter 15, he's going to correct what they think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My favorite chapter in the Bible outside of the Gospels. 1 Corinthians 15. I won't talk about it because we'll be here for two hours, but that's words for another day. But in 12 through 14, what he's doing is he's correcting what they believe about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, he talks about how we're a body, right? We all have different gifts. We're all different members of the body. Arms don't need to be legs. Feet don't need to be mouths, right? We all wish, like, we could sing and look as smooth as Micah does when he's up here singing, right? I do. I want to be on the worship team, but you know what I'm saying? That's not my spiritual gift. You know what I'm saying? I keep moving chairs in Jesus' name. You know what I'm saying? And then in 14 he's going to talk about how these spiritual gifts should be enacted in the gathering of believers. But right in the middle of this, in chapter 13, he talks about love. Now, if we don't look closely, we can look at these three chapters and say, why is this in the middle? Why is this Why is this in the center? I believe it's in the middle and it's in the center because it's the heart of what Paul is trying to communicate in this section. And the reality for all of us is, At the heart, at the heart of any dispute that we're having, as the body of Jesus Christ, I believe what's talked about in these verses should be at the center of it. So, let's look at these with the few minutes we have left this morning. Okay. The page got stuck there. All right, let's look at this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. These three verses for us this morning. Love is... Enriching. Love is enriching. Love is enriching. About five or six years ago, I started to collect records. My grandma used to always spin records. She used to always listen to this dope, like, 50s and 60s and 70s music. So as an adult, I figured, hey, I want to listen to it, too, but I want to learn more about it. So I started going places and started collecting records. I got myself a little record player. And now I just spin records and dance with my daughter in the house. That's what we do. Now. I go to this place called the exchange a lot because I have a lot of old, yeah, I have a lot of old DVDs and you can trade things at the exchange to get other types of media. So because I have a bunch of CDs from back in the day, my grandma gave me a box of A-tracks and that's coming back in now, so I'm taking stuff to the record exchange to trade it to try to get more old dope records. So, uh, goodness, this was over a year ago now. It was before uh, the world shut down. I went and I had my box of stuff. And I'm like, man, I want to get some records. I had written down a few that I wanted to get. I'm trying to explore the artists that my grandma listened to more. You know, I know a little bit about Donna Summers, but I'm trying to like, you know what I'm saying, get her whole catalog. So I walk in with my box of stuff, I go up to the front, and the man says, hey, I say, how much can I get for this? And he says, "Uh, this is a big box. He says, this is going to take about an hour. Why don't you look around? So I looked around for a while, but then I went up to the front and watched what he was doing. And what he was doing was he was putting every CD that I had into the computer, and if the CD was an actual disc that worked for them, a big green check mark would pop up. And if it wasn't, because I'll be honest, I bought a lot of CDs from the barber shop back in the day, and some of those may or, or I, I don't know if they're from the artist. I, I repented before communion. I, right? And some of them were dinging this red thumbs down. And it was a big ding. And man, I kept hearing the ding. like, And I was so embarrassed. I just kept like walking to the back. It just kept ding, 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 ding. I was like, dang, I might not be able to get as many records as I want. I went up and I asked him what he was doing he said, this is our authenticating software. He said, this authenticates whether or not media is real or whether it is false. My friends this morning, the authenticating factor of what makes us Christians is love. It is love. The very evidence of us being the people of God within the church and in the world around us is love. It is what authenticates us. And love is enriching because in this text, what it's gonna point to is what love does in the context of community. It's gonna start by saying, if you don't have love, then you're all bark and you're no bite. You're just a clinging symbol. And what use does a clinging symbol have? It has no use if we are not people of love then we may not be authentically in the faith. And this is what these verses are saying. He's saying you can do all of these things. You can have all of these gifts. You can have all of these talents. But if you do not have love, then it is meaningless. Growing up on my block, it was really interesting. The woman who lived at the corner went to the church that I grew up going to with my mom and my grandma. And here's what's really interesting. She was the sweetest lady. Rest in peace, Miss Wanda. She was the sweetest lady on the planet. But her husband was this, like, mean dude. And you see, what was really interesting is he would come with her to service sometimes. So I figured because he was coming to service, this dude loved Jesus. But when I was on my way to the park and I would walk through his grass, I cannot repeat the things. He would yell at us. grandma would say, just because I stand in a garage that doesn't make me a car. Love is the authenticating evidence of our faith. Next, four through eight, let's look. Four through eight here. Let's turn the page. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. God's word. Love is edifying, and love is enduring. It's edifying, and it is enduring. Here it's telling us that love is patient, and love is kind. I want you to think about your relationships. What does kindness birth in the context of your marriage? It births kindness and understanding. I know most of you have been married like five times longer than me, but you know what I'm saying? In the, in, the, in the almost five years, praise God, that I've been married, I've learned a few things. That when I am kind to my wife, that bursts understanding and kindness on the other side. When I am patient to, with my wife, it bursts kindness and understanding on the other end. And not just in our marriages, but in the context of all of Christian community when we are people of kindness, it births kindness. And I believe what Paul is doing here is I believe Paul is really pressing into and Paul is really connecting into the cultural context of the people who most of which were worshiping at the temple of Aphrodite, who had a messed up concept of love, So in this, he's saying, hey, love doesn't only take, but real love gives. Hey, love is not this moment of pleasure, but love never ends. Love endures all things. Love in this passage is both edifying and it's enduring. You see, in the New Testament, there are three words for love. In the Greek language, there are three words that in our English language is translated as love. One of them is this brotherly love. Philea, right? Like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That is brotherly love. That's not the love that's talked about here in this passage. There's another love, and that is a general, relational, platonic love called storge. Last but not least, there is a love called agape. And this love called agape is the Greek idea that centers around a Hebrew idea. It centers around this Old Testament idea. And it's this Old Testament Hebrew word called chesed. And this word chesed cannot be translated into English. We don't have any words that are strong enough to capture this this is the covenant keeping unconditional love of God this is the God that this is the love that God shows Abraham when he's on the mountain and he's about to sacrifice his son this pops up there this is the covenant keeping love that God shows to David and that God shows to Solomon this is the covenant keeping love that God shows his people even in the midst of when the kingdom breaks apart and all of these evil kings are leading people in evil directions and the people of Israel land themselves in exile and slavery. This is the love that continues to run through. This is the love that shows up when a woman named Mary is impregnated through the Holy Spirit and gives birth to a baby named Jesus. This is the love that is being taught about in this passage. Now, cards on the table, here's the sermon. We as the people of God in every cultural moment, but especially in the one that we exist in now, ought to show this type of love. A reality of the universe is if I have an orange and I squeeze this orange into a jar and I expect lemonade to come out, then I'm a fool. If I came up to you and I said, hey, sir, I'm going to get you some lemonade and I start squeezing oranges, you're going to look at me like I've lost my mind. The reality for us people of God is that what is inside of us will come out. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the fingers type. Out of the abundance of the heart, our hands move. And the question for us this morning is, when we are squeezed, does love come out? Does an unconditional covenant-keeping love come out of us when we are squeezed? Because if that's what comes out, then Jesus is inside of us because Jesus, because Jesus, when he was squeezed, love came out. Love came out. Jesus, in John chapter three, when he's speaking to a Pharisee who's at the top of the social totem pole named Nicodemus, when he is squeezed by Nicodemus and asked a question about how he can get eternal life, What does Jesus do? Jesus tells him how he can get eternal life. He loves him in that moment. He teaches him the gospel. He says, hey, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall have life. And then he says, for God came not to condemn the world. Nicodemus, I know you're coming here at night. I know you're scared, but I came not to condemn the world, but I came to save it. When Jesus was squeezed, love came out. In the very next chapter, he speaks to a woman who is at the bottom of the social totem pole. She is a woman from Samaria who Jesus isn't even supposed to talk to. And when he engages her in conversation, when he is squeezed, when she begins to talk about where they worship versus where he worships, when she begins to draw these cultural distinctions, when Jesus is squeezed, love comes out. He looks at her and he says, hey, I want to give you this water where you'll never thirst again. You'll never have to come to any well. Love comes out when Jesus is squeezed. Jesus not only teaches his disciples, hey, love your enemies, but Jesus, when he's about to be arrested and Peter pulls out a sword and cuts the guard's ear, Jesus puts it back on. Because when he is squeezed... Love comes out. Love comes out. Pastor Brandon talked this morning about communion. and He challenged us to examine ourselves before we came to the table of our Lord. My challenge for you as I leave here today is that you will examine your heart over the course of the last week, over the course of the last month, over the course of the last year, as you've been squeezed, which we all have, What's come out? If condemnation comes out, then we need to examine our hearts and repent and believe. Romans 8 teaches us that there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. He came not to condemn the world, but he came to save it. If accusation comes out when we are squeezed, there is one who is called the accuser. His name is Satan. That's what Satan means. must repent and believe if anything comes out beloved when we are squeezed we must examine, repent and believe for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall have a life life everlasting would you pray with me Father help us Father, help us, as we sang, make our hearts believe, Jesus, in the midst of deep division, deep dissension, and a difficult cultural moment, Jesus, as we're squeezed in the spaces that we live, work, and play, Jesus, I pray that what comes out of us will be love, and Jesus, as we know from your Gospels, man, love builds bridges. Love creates tables, love tears down fences. So Jesus, I pray that as we're squeezed, what would come out of us would be love. Jesus, we thank you and we love you. All praise be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it is now and shall be forevermore, a world without end. Amen and amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.